Hello and welcome to 1322 Life. Today I have with me um, my pastor, Dr. Dana, and I'm going to let you introduce yourself because I can say wonderful things about you. Um, but I just really am excited to have you here and I'm glad for your yes and being able to share your expertise with everyone. So Dr. Dana, um, or as I call you, pastor, take it away. I am honored to be on your, your podcast. I am Dr. Dana. I'm the senior pastor of the Life Changing Ministry. We are now located in Suffolk, Virginia. I am going to be licensed as a therapist next year. And I am the CEO of Dr. Dana Coaching. So I'm excited to be here. Thank you for the invite. Of course. So how long have you been doing um, your social work? Well, I got my MSW in 2006 from Norfolk State. <laughs> all y'all Norfolk State people. And so since 06, I've actually been doing social work, some some form of social work for almost 20 years. Awesome. Awesome. So I just want to set that stage because you are very experienced and I want people to be able to take that away um, during our chat today. So today I really want to talk with you about childhood trauma. Oh, that's and, a good one. Yeah. Yes. So a lot of us um, have trauma because all of our parents try their best, but, um, you know, all of our kids need therapy from us. <laughs> and so uh, I just want to dive into how can um, people maybe harbor in those feelings or uh, those past traumas? How can that affect them in adulthood? Well, I, I'm going to tell you as someone who's been through childhood trauma, and trauma is something for a child that can be as simple as a divorce. You know, some people look at trauma it could be uh, being inappropriately touched. Trauma could be the death uh, and the grief of one of your parents or, or a guardian that is actually close to you. Uh, trauma can be viewed differently by the individual person. So many people are traumatized by just a, a death of a dog, an animal, causes mm -hmm. trauma for certain children. And as they grow and that is not processed, sometimes it can be outwardly manifested in that per in that child's behavior. A child that is usually smiling and, and grinning and laughing now can become a little bit more angry, which is really a symptom of depression. And they can be angry and a little bit irritated, not really connected to other people as close as they were before. And I think it's, it's really important for the guardians to know the signs and the, you know, sort of like how their child's behavior may have changed over the course of time. Well, oh, so before we even dive deeper into the part about it affecting them into adulthood, what are some of the signs that we can watch out for as parents? Because, um, you know, my, my few, my, my four, but also I know there's other parents listening. So what are some signs that we can watch out for as parents so that we can be more vigilant and help our children not to carry on that kind of pain into adulthood? You know, if your child is an outgoing child and that child has become more reserved and quiet, if your child no longer likes to do the things that they usually associate as fun, you know, you say bush gardens and your child was like bush gardens. And now you say bush gardens and the child's like, I don't want to go. Mm -hmm. If they're distanced from their friends and the people, you know, the things that they usually find as fun, they're more isolated and alone, more angry, more distant, you know, j just doing things that are outside of their normal behavior. I think those are signs that you can begin to say, okay, something 
is going on with my child. And you'll probably, in most cases, you notice it may not be right away because parents, as parents, we're so busy, you know, doing life. But every once in a while, you look at that child and say, hmm, you know, he or she seems to be a little bit quiet. Are you okay? And they say, yeah, I'm fine. Well, they could be just lashing out in anger. You know, just lashing out in ways that they 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 haven't done before. Their behavior is not consistent with the continuum of what is usually on. And it's usually alert for parents that something is going on with that child. Okay. And what should we do? Do we just go ahead and ask them if they're okay? And they're like, yeah, I'm good. Like, do we just take their word for that? Or do we immediately take them to therapy? What What should we do? I... I am an advocate of when children, um, if you can find something that they like to do, get them in a place where they're open. They're open to not only hear you, but open to communicate. You know, some children, even though they may be traumatized or may have went through something, there's certain things that they like. Some kids is as simple as ice cream. Mm. You want some ice cream and they still have a little glimpse of hope with that ice cream. You take them in that place and you begin to talk to that child and ask them, how are you doing? and begin to connect with their feelings. How do you feel? Are you happy? Because kids may not actually know as far as um, how to articulate their emotions in some cases by giving you long sentences, but they can say, I'm sad. Yeah. Um, I'm angry. And when that child is angry and if they can, you can continue to talk to them. And if that anger lingers for a while, if that behavior that you've noticed with that child kind of lingers for um, like four weeks or more, then -hmm. you go get that. You can go and and get that child talk, let a professional talk that child, just make sure that that person's okay. That's from a clinical point of view. You know, you can take that child and get that child assessed and see if anything else is going on because they may feel more comfortable talking. Say if it's a divorce, Mm. Or say um and they don't and or a death of a very close loved ones and loved one and they know you were attached as a parent to that loved one as well a child may not come to you and disclose that because they don't want to make you upset say if it's the loss of your husband mm. or like that so they may not come to you they've already seen you crying so they keep it inside they begin to suppress those feelings and if you take them to an outside person that creates a therapeutic environment for that child, they may feel more open to communicate their concerns um, in a very open, in that environment. They may say, you know, I'm sad because of this or I'm angry. Well, they feel a little bit more comfortable. Got it. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. I love that. So now to get back on our cases as adults, Mm -hmm. what are some things, maybe what are some signs that we're holding on to past trauma? What if we think, we're fine. It's all good. Like, but what are some signs that, hey, like you might be carrying some of that weight from your childhood on with you now and it's um it's showing off? <laughs> I think a lot of people that hold on to past trauma um really struggle with unforgiveness. Mm. Struggle with harvesting because those feelings, when you're unforgiven and you have unforgiveness, those feelings that you feel are very close to your heart. They're they're there. You don't forget it. So a lot of times you you may be exhibiting behaviors that really is not um, contingent for that particular thing that has happened. So someone closes the door loudly or someone does something and now you're extremely angry. It's just not the way you're acting doesn't go along with the situation at hand. So that can be a sign that you have some unforgiveness. You haven't processed the hurt that's in your past. 
you hold grudges and you just kind of cut people off, um, you know, with that unforgiveness. Another thing is a lack of trust. Some people that have been traumatized, they, they do not connect to people when it comes to trusting other people. They don't trust their mates. Some of them don't trust their dear friends. They don't trust anybody, you know, because they've been hurt in that area. So they kind of push people off and kind of distance their, you know, themselves um, from other people. And so when you see those signs where people are not trusting, people are distancing themselves from others, people um, are not emotionally connected to things. They're emotionally unavailable. Some people are just like that. They, you ask them how they feel, they can't really uh, um, attach to their feelings. Well, I don't know. Things of that nature. You never know how they feel it. You don't know if they're happy, sad, indifferent. You, you just, you really don't know because they, they don't go to that place of where they can attach their emotions because they've been hurt and wounded before or some sort of trauma has happened to them. And in order to protect themselves, they create a coping mechanism to protect themselves. And that may be distancing themselves from other people. That may be not getting connected. You know, that may be, I don't trust anybody because the last time I trusted somebody, they died. The last time I opened up my heart and someone told me they loved me, it came with abuse. So now I kind of distance myself from those things happening. That makes a lot of sense. I get that a lot. Mm -hmm. um, I can definitely even relate to that. So I know uh, what you're talking about. So distancing yourself, if you're not trusting of other people, even people that haven't necessarily done you wrong or given you a reason not to trust them, right. or if we're dealing with unforgiveness. Now, uh, what if they said, Oh, I'm not worried about them anymore. I'm not worried about what happened in my past. I've just, I've, I've let that all go. Can, do you think that you can actually let go of the past without forgiving others? You know, that's a good question. I, I think you can, I think it'll be challenging to fully release something when you're still holding on to it. Mm -hmm. It's like someone telling you, can you re release a balloon and still have the cord, the end of the cord? <laughs> No. no. <laughs> so it's going to be kind of hard because you haven't really released that. It's not really releasing that person. It's a struggle to release yourself, to actually free yourself in that situation. You still have those thoughts that are going on in your head about that, that trauma. And most people, they hold on to it. They either blame themselves. And some of the forgiveness is not really another person. Some people struggle with forgiving themselves. Mm. People that have been, like, been sexually uh, traumatized blame themselves. They have a level of shame within themselves that has nothing to do with anybody else. So sometimes it's personally forgiving yourself. And I think that level of recognition that I'm holding on to a level of guilt, I'm holding on to a level of shame. I'm angry and I don't know why. These are, This may be trauma or some sort of past experience that have happened to you because now you have no reason to be angry. Why are you angry? You're just angry. Life is dealt to the dirty hand or the, you know, the bad hand. So they, they come across as very just easy, just short tempered. And I think anger is really a key sign. Anger and depression. You know, mm -hmm. people, anger and depression is the reason why people may feel this way. Kids are not angry for nothing. It's a byproduct of something. There's a reason why people are angry. And getting to the root of that sometimes take therapeutic interventions um that are that I think are very helpful that's from a therapeutic point of view 
Now you have other clinical, um, not clinical, but you have other spiritual interventions that I tell people from a pastoral role, which are a little bit different, but therapeutically, I think talking to someone and really understanding, going back to the root of that trauma, helping people to go back and trace the steps of when were you happy before? Mm. When was the last time you were happy? Oh, before my father died. Mm. So the last time you remember being happy is before your father died. Okay. So now they can trace that the, the change in their behavior to a particular place. So this feeling that I have is based on the trauma of the death of my father. But some people don't need help to get back to that place where they can get to the root of what's going on. Sometimes you don't, in the business of life, as you become an adult, you don't really think about things like that. You don't take the time to really think about what's going on here. Okay. Kind of now, you also said that the spiritual component looks a little different. Now, most of the people listening here are going to be believers. I mean, after all, it's about having God in your finances, right? So yeah. when it comes to the spiritual component, what does that look like? Well, when you're spiritual, when you're doing as a pastoral leadership and guidance, and that's mainly what I do now, I do do therapy under supervision. I want to make sure that's clear, but um, pastoral leadership and guidance, one of the things that I um, tell people is the power of prayer, mm. the power of involving in, involving in your situation and all-knowing God who is all-powerful and able to heal. There's not a wound, a hurt, a trauma. There's not a situation that our Heavenly Father is not able to come in and grace us with this anointing in. It's so amazing and so awesome to me to know we have a God that is all capable and all powerful. So I tell people to involve God in their situation. Take him to that place of hurt. Invite him into that dark room. Invite him into that, that place that you're grieving. And, and grief is not just death. Some people are grieving the loss of parents they never had. They never mm. had parents. Some people are grieving the loss of the parents they had, but they thought they, and versus the parents they thought they should have had. No, my mm. mother is still here, but I'm grieving the mother that I thought I should have had. God can go into that place of hurt and heal that wound if we invite him in. He's such a gentleman. He doesn't come in and knock open the door, but if you invite him in, he will come in and he will heal that wound I say it's like spiritual neosperm. He comes in, <laughs> it's like hydrogen peroxide, right? Yeah. But it doesn't burn like alcohol. Mm -hmm. Skillful physician. God is skillful. He's like, well, come in and hurt you. And so I tell people all the time, you know, when you've been through hurt, you got to let the Lord in because sometimes people treat God like people. Because you've been hurt, you distance yourself from God. You distance yourself from people. So then we begin to distance ourselves from God. We begin to keep people out. Like, I mean, God out. Like we keep people out. He is not like man. We have to let God into that room, that dark place. That torments many people's minds. They have no peace. Because they've been hurt. They blame themselves. Because they were traumatized. You're the victim. People are the victim and they be, they begin to, to, to treat treat themselves as if they were the um the person that did the harm, the perpetrator. They begin to beat up on themselves and not like themselves because of what was done to them. You're gonna need a heavenly God, an all-knowing father, to come in and help you through that process of pain and hurt. And so I invite people to come in all the time 
Let the Lord come in. Let the word be soothing to you. Read scriptures about healing. Apply the word. Now, I know some people are listening to this and they're like, Brie, what does this have to do with my finances? And um, one thing about it, this podcast is not directed by me. It's directed by God because he's told me what I need to do for each podcast. And the next thing is I feel like personally, in my experience, that when you're holding on to a lot of hate, a lot of pain, a lot of trauma, if you're like wearing that like a shackle and, or like a ball and chain, I feel like it it stops you from being truly free and being able to reach your full potential and your purpose God put you on earth for. And if we're not walking in our purpose, then how can we reach financial freedom? How can we reach, you know, riches untold and this great amount of wealth that will touch several generations? If instead we're harboring all this pain, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, a lot of people like to think that, you know, a lot of rich people are evil, but I don't, I, I don't, I don't believe that. I feel like there has to be a lot of people that are really free and that freedom allowed them to reach wealth. So I wanted to go into that. Um, have you seen in your experience that a lot of people are struggling um, with pain and trauma and they're wearing it like a ball and chain and that's stopping them from being able to get to um any kind of financial breakthrough or even like you know a better job position i think anytime you you've had your past trauma is imagine yourself walking around and you're carrying already the weight of life life has its own weight paying bills, going to work, taking care of your children, taking care of yourself. Imagine that weight. And then you have trauma from your past. Somebody puts another brick, another 10 pounds on top of that. Then you have domestic violence and abuse, or um, you have something else that has happened to you, sexual abuse, verbal abuse, or whatever. Put that on top. Then you have the grief of uh, the weight of grief. Some people have abandonment and rejection. You got all these things you kind of you're trying to carry around on top of the weight of life, on top of the, the basic things that already is there. So when you have people trying to carry all that stuff and now you're trying to run towards your financial blessings, you're not going to be running anywhere. You're weighted down. You have unforgiveness. You're weighted down. So emotionally and mentally, when you're weighted down, your mind is not really clear sometimes to do the things you need to do to create financial wealth. It clutters your mind. It clutters your spirit. You know, the Bible, there's a scripture in the Bible that says to lay aside every weight and sin that so easily beset us so we can run this race. God understood that we don't need weights on us and we don't need sins. Unforgiveness may be a sin, but battling with rejection from someone who left you or did something or abandonment issues, that's not necessarily a sin. That's something that has happened to you that has traumatized you, but it can become a weight. And you can't run towards the vision God has given you financial freedom. If you're running, you're trying to go towards that, it's going to be real hard with all these weights on your back and bricks and distractions. That's what it is. It's mental and it's distractions, emotional distractions. Instead of you planning out your future, making sure your financial portfolio is good, Investing in 401ks or whatever you're doing, you're too busy being distracted by emotional wounds. You're distracted by mental torment from your past, which is hindering you from being able to be in the present. 
And that's what trauma does. It will, you, you're getting older, but it almost entraps you to a date and time and place, mentally and emotionally. And so freeing yourself is not only going to free you in one area. When you free, you're going to be free. When the Lord comes in and frees you, he frees you in all areas. And so it's going to help you be able to be in the present moment to do what you need to do, to really begin to view your finances from another point of view when you're free in those areas. Definitely, definitely. I love that. Um, so it wouldn't be right if we didn't add some scripture to this. And so I want to bring up Job because mm -hmm. what I found out when I actually read the whole book of Job, I always heard it as a child. And so um, we knew how rich Job was and how blessed he was to start with, that the devil had to ask for permission to even you know, touch him to, um, you know, touch his children and things like that. So that was so powerful to be so faithful that the devil had to go ask God for permission because God had a hedge of protection around Job. And yeah. the thing that got me about Job is majority of the book, his friends were talking trash to him. I did not realize that. But majority of the book, when I went to read it, it was his friend saying, well, you must have did something wrong. And for chapters on chapters on chapters, they taking their turns trying to um, tell him how horrible he must be being in secret. Like they don't know him at all. And yeah. so what surprised me, because we all know that Job gets back double. Um, but he did not get back double until after he prayed for those friends. Isn't that amazing? That is so amazing to me because that lets me know that he had to forgive them. God told them, you did not talk about me even close to as well as my servant Job talked about me. And so like you, you weren't able to speak about me even anywhere near where Job was able to. And then he told them, you need to go ask Job to pray for you. So God told them that they had to ask Job to pray for them so that they would be forgiven. And Job obeyed and prayed for them. Because I don't know, someone that was talking junk about me after I done lost all my kids, all my money, all my animals, all my uh servants and everything. Like I done been stripped to nothing. And then they kicked me while I was down telling me how I must have deserved it somehow. That would have been a little tough for me to pray for. I don't know. I mean, you know, you a pastor, but who pastor? <laughs> I don't know if I could have did it like Job did. It, I mean, what you're saying, it, it Job is a is is really an interesting story. The more you read about Job and how he lost everything, it just it's amazing to me. It's amazing that he didn't do what his wife said, curse God and die. Mm -hmm. It's really amazing, and his friends were like, "You don't sin. You you did something wrong. I know you did for all this to happen. You sitting here with like boils all over your body." I mean, you don't lost everything. It went from a wealthy man in one day to every losing almost everything beside your life. That had to be, that's called demonic warfare. When things you just, everything about Job was attacked at once. His children, his money, even his wife got a little funny. Losing all her kids, I think she was dealing with it in her own way, right? Yeah. I mean, she I probably I, thought I Job had did something too. She probably was like, Job, what you don't did? <laughs> Just go ahead and curse God and die. I know you did something, Job. It's you, right? But it, it really reminds me of the scripture that also says that we must pray for those who spitefully misuse us. Mm. The Bible clearly tells us we, we should be praying for our enemies. 
Job's case, it did. It's almost like he got blessed after he understood the premise. Let me release this into the hands of the Lord. And that's what prayer does and forgiveness does. But yeah. I think all the time on the prayer line, when I when I do the prayer line, all the time I let them know we're not forgetting nothing. When you are praying, forgiveness is releasing that situation into the hands of the Lord. The Lord remembers. He, the, you're not gonna unless you got something going on, a diagnosis where your mind you forget and your mind your memory slips. You're gonna remember what people did to you. I remember childhood trauma. I've forgotten about it, but what happens is the sting of it is gone. When you give it to the Lord, it takes away the impact of it. The emotional part of it is not attached to that that hurt and that harm that is that has happened to you. So we have to pray for our enemies. We have to, and to get released into our divine destiny. Yes. Financial destiny is in forgiveness. It's all in there. You're giving it over to God because guess what? We're not perfect. Correct. Everybody holding on to it. He's taking to the grave people, unforgivable folks. It's unforgivable. Mm -hmm. I've heard people tell me that all the time. This is unforgivable. The Bible don't have anything about that in it. I've, I haven't That's seen it. We're no, not perfect. You don't want somebody to forgive you. So yeah. let's forgive other people so we can reap what we have sowed into. What about the people that are like, yeah, I want to be forgiven, but I ain't do, do what they did. I ain't that bad. Or I ain't been hurt like that. Or, you know, and some people are really holding on to some serious things. You know, sometimes we can laugh about it, but there's some people that it's like maybe maybe a parent of theirs were murdered or a family member that they love were murdered. And they're just harboring that hate because they're like, well, I've never murdered anyone. So ain't nobody got to forgive me for that. You know, everything I've done is petty compared to them. What do you have to say to those people that are holding on to immense pain from serious things that have happened to them? It, I can tell you, it's not going to be, I'm not going to sit up here and tell you somebody kills one of your children or, or um, murders someone you love that is just going to be like, his blood covers, even though his blood does cover. Mm -hmm. That's a God moment. I wouldn't even have the words to, I tell people all the time, all, all I can say is I'm here for you and I'm praying. Sometimes we don't have the words to say when people have went through traumatic events. I don't try to act like I'm no hero and, and if this happened to me, this is what I'm going to do. I just need the grace of God. I know that forgiveness is in the book. That's what I tell people. When they come to me and tell me, I said, you know what? The Lord, when he put that forgiveness and ensured that it was in the Bible, he knew every circumstance. He's God. He already knew the circumstances that could happen because of, um, of you know, things that you'd have to forgive people for. Being raped, being molested, being um, somebody killed and everything that you can think of with a son. Some people that went through horrific things. I mean, horrific. I don't know how else to put it. And God still said, forgiveness is in the book. Because really, it's for your benefit. It is. It helps the person that is a victim. Forgiveness is, it, it helps you. Yes. It helps you. And when you understand that I am, it's like trying, I say the analogy is like a brick being on a, on a balloon. Unforgiveness is like that brick on the end of a balloon. That balloon is not going anywhere. You can soar and go to the places God has you to go with that brick holding you back. You know, another analogy I love to use for unforgiveness is it's like drinking poison mm -hmm. and expecting your enemy to die. Isn't that something? Yes, because I have learned that harboring unforgiveness, it mm -hmm. leads to sickness. Like people can literally physically be sick 
because they're harboring unforgiveness because they're harboring that pain and grudges and holding grudges for eternity there's people that's been holding a grudge since 77 you were born in 77 let it go let it go <laughs> you don't really remember that you remember what happened that's true i think a lot of people have things that can happen to them when they um harvest even you hold on to unforgiveness i think that things can happen in your body mentally because it's just you're holding on to those painful things versus releasing it forgiveness is like releasing the pain of that circumstance into uh, however you release it if you're a christian you, re you release it into the into the hands of god who's more than capable of dealing with your enemies because the lord knows he knows things about your enemy you don't know the Lord knows the trauma that the people that traumatize have been through. Sometimes we don't have access to that information. Some of them, he knows they're just evil malicious. But whatever it is, God knows. And he knows adequately how to deal with them. Based on his all-knowing knowledge. So we have to put it into the hands of the Lord. And it's not easy. It's not. Some people are hard to love. And I'm a pastor. And I say that out of truth. Some people make it hard for you to love them. Whew. Not impossible, because we can do all things through Christ to strengthen us. But they sure make it hard, don't they? They do. They the do. That violate you, they make it hard. People that don't, don't stole and cost you your job. Some people have lied and maliciously lied. People have been in jail for years and they're innocent. You know, some of that stuff, you know, that's a God place. We have to involve God into those places to help us to forgive. And if you're struggling with that, ask the Lord, Lord, I need help to forgive. I want to do it, God, but I'm going to need your help in this. I'm going to need your help, Jesus. He'll help you. I love that. I love that. So another thing is, I know we talked about Job and, you know, that was eons ago. None of us met Job. I don't know. I just know it's Bible story. So what about real life? Everyday people today, have you seen people let go of uh, their trauma or their pain? And have you seen any success stories where they've been able to start breaking through? I have. I think working therapeutically, um, you you work with people and you can see like Oprah would say those aha moments. Mm. You can see by the continents and how they feel. Because one thing um, that I do is I do CBT, which is cognitive behavior therapy. And one thing in CBT that we you teach people is that your thoughts, your emotions, and your behaviors are all connected together. So when you have negative thoughts, it's going to lead to negative behaviors and negative emotions. So once a person understands that, that these negative thoughts that I'm having concerning this trauma are impacting me with negative emotions and leading to negative behaviors. I'm not only angry, but I'm isolating myself from other people. I'm depressed and it leads back to your thoughts. So when people can learn to challenge their thoughts, to really understand why am I feeling this way? When you're feeling angry, many people don't ask themselves, why am I angry? Or here's the question, what am I thinking about? Because anger, when people are anxious and have anxiety, it's based on what they're thinking. So I think breakthroughs come when you when people understand that our thoughts or what our behaviors are connected to what we're thinking. And that is biblically based as well. As a Christian, you can go in the word and it tells you all the time about your thoughts. 
that what you think is basically what you are, that's the Bible. And so once you understand that premise and how it, you can connect that back and people begin to use it, begin to challenge those thoughts, um, instead of just letting those thoughts run rampage, just run all over the place, they're challenging those thoughts. And they learn the power in that. And we can do that too as Christians. Why are you nervous, right? Why are you fearful? What am I thinking about? I'm thinking about failing. I'm thinking about not being successful. And you, you could be thinking about all kinds of negative stuff. And once you challenge that thought, like, no, God's got me. He's going to take care of me. I'm fine. I'm in the hands of the Lord. You go to quote a bunch of scriptures and you feel better. Yeah. That's the way people overcome. And the trauma is no different. You challenge those negative thoughts. You challenge what you, the script that you're telling yourself about okay. yourself because of your circumstances and what has happened to you. I love that. And that starts to answer my next question I was going to ask you. I wanted to know what are some things we can do to start pushing through that trauma? So I love challenging those negative thoughts and then speaking the word over our life. Um, you know, combating the lies of the devil with the truth from God, which is his word. So I love that. What are some other things that we can do? Um, you know, positive affirmations, but what else can we do to start taking those steps to truly deal with that trauma spiritually and from a therapeutic um, standpoint? I think therapeutically, you can um, get a therapist. Go seek someone that you can talk to. On a bi-weekly, some people um, I do therapy with on a weekly basis. Just depends on what's going on in their life. I am an advocate of Christian counseling. I really am an advocate of it. One of the things that the Bible tells us in that God is a counselor. And Isaiah, I believe, it says he is a counselor. Mighty God, right? He's a prince of peace. So one of the characteristics of our heavenly father in his, is, is in, in his ability to counsel those. And if you have the spirit of God in you, I believe you can provide help to people as a Christian and help counsel other people that are going through. So I would recommend if you are a person of faith, you can find people who are adhere to the faith and find Christian counseling. You can look them up. They give you scriptures and interventions, right? Yes. One. Some people. Now, a lot of Christians, when it comes to medications, I'm, you know, the. I don't push medicines on people, but some people are really morbidly depressed. Some people are going through the process of learning interventions. Sometimes medication is needed for some people. And I know Christians are like, well, the Lord can heal pastor. You shouldn't be saying that. But many of us have other things outside of our mental conditions. Mm -hmm. we, people have hypertension and, and take their hypertension medicine all the time. People have, um, I remember when I was anemic, I took iron mm -hmm. for a while. We didn't think twice about it. I didn't tell myself this script. If you believe God is a healer, why are you taking your medicine? And all kinds of stuff sometimes Christians do. I'm an advocate of the word working. I'm an advocate of the power of the word. But I also believe this, the Lord don't have to take you off your medicine to heal you. So sometimes he can heal you while you own it until they tell you you don't need it. So I would be prayerful about that as a Christian to see whether or not medication interventions for some people often is needed until they're able to stabilize and really do the things that they need to do. Some people. They never, I don't take medicine. I'm walking by that level of faith. They don't need it. Each person is different. So depending on the person, sometimes that will be needed as an intervention for, for some people. 
Um, I also feel like um, praying, of course, reading your Bible, quoting the word over your life, finding scriptures that are relevant for you and speaking that word into your life. Because when you speak the word, what happens is when you speak, the word goes out of your mouth and it goes into your hearing. It deposits a seed into your spirit and it produces fruit. That's just not the word. That can be a negative word. That's the same thing. Somebody tells you, well, you know what? You're unlearned or you're stupid. That word, if you don't confront it, what does it do? Go into your hearing, deposit mm -hmm. a seed into your spirit, and it really begins to produce a fruit of you're, you're stupid. And mm -hmm. then, you, you know, you can manifest that. So I would av I'm advocate people not just reading the word, but praying the word over their lives. Amen. And that makes a significant difference when you pray the word over your life. I think that is very, very important. Sometimes interventions can be many things. Journaling can be an intervention. Exercise can be an intervention. Um, they have some sort of, sometimes you write down, they have a, emotional thought journals and different things like that that people do to really regulate their thoughts. What are you thinking? And then get to the root. What were you uh, what was your, your emotions and what were you thinking about at that time? So people can understand the connection between their emotions and their behaviors or their thoughts and their emotions. So they have all kind of logs you can do. I mean, there's a multitude of interventions that you can do depending on the person's diagnosis. So interventions are not just interventions. You're talking about trauma depends on what they're diagnosed with because of the trauma. Like PTSD has different interventions than depression would, or you know, interventions than something ADHD may. So right. all that makes a difference. Okay. Another thing I want to say, I've mm -hmm. heard people say, and um, I don't know if I ever used to say this because I feel like I've been in therapy all my life. So I love therapy. I love Christian therapy. I have had a Christian therapist in one regard or another my entire adult life. Yes. Um and so I am a strong advocate for that. But when I've maybe recommended it to others, they've said, I don't want to do that because then I'll be saying something's wrong with me. And so that's even before getting to the medicine part, because, you know, yes, the same way you may have to take iron or you take your allergy medicine because the pollen outside is deep and it's beating you up. Like, you know, you don't think twice about taking Claritin, Zyrtec or Allegra. Um, but you want to think twice about taking that pill that your doctor is prescribing you so that you can be mentally well and here. So what do you have to say to the people that are saying, oh, if I go to a therapist, that's the minute something's wrong with me. Cause I just feel like something's wrong with all of us already. Like <laughs> no one's, you know, this normal, like we, and when I say that, it's not to say that we have serious issues, but we're all different. We're all struggling with something. We've all gone through some kind of trauma or some kind of pain. Life is ups and downs. You're not living if you don't have ups and downs. So, I mean, there's something you have to deal with. And even if it may seem silly, like what, what can you say to those people that are like, that's saying something's wrong with me? Like, cause it's okay. I I, I mean, I can understand those people, especially if they're coming from a Christian background. I understand some people, Christians not agreeing to do medicine. And I, I really do. That's why I say it's medicine some people believe in it and some don't. So medicine can be an intervention for certain people. I, I, as a person, I don't just readily prescribe people, you know, I don't prescribe anyways, but I, you know, I can refer people 
if they need to be on medicine. If they choose to be on medicine, I can refer them to a psychiatrist. I would tell the person, if you feel that way, that you're going to be, um, you you going to a, a therapist means that you're admitting that something is wrong with you. You probably have not been in a therapeutic environment before. And a lot of people don't understand. They You view therapy, people look at therapy differently until they get in it. They're like, oh, I'm just sitting here talking to somebody. I just got someone that's helping me work through this. Yeah. And I think they have the wrong mindset or the wrong, um, you know, thought process when it comes to therapy, which makes it challenging for them to receive the help. It doesn't mean anything is wrong with you because you go and I'm an advocate of Christian therapy. I really am. I really am because I feel like if you can get to a believer or get to somebody as a Christian, if you don't feel comfortable just doing therapy, find someone who's of the faith and you can have that combination of spiritual interventions or things that will help you that you are stating that is helping you. Most people that come in therapy, the therapist doesn't or the clinician. In my case, it would be, I'll be considered a clinician now, but they don't really um, tell you as such. You come in and say, reading my Bible helps me. They may ask you, did you use what you state that helps you? Mm-hmm. You think come in, you gonna come, most Christians are gonna come in and say, praying helps me. Mm-hmm. They're gonna say, have you prayed? Because you stated it helps you. Mm-hmm. And so they just help remind you of your interventions that you're stating that helps you when you feel some kind of way. Did you yeah. journal today? Because you say writing helps you. Have you been using those interventions that you say help you? Definitely. You understand what I mean? And then you can say, well, the word, you know what? I quoted these scriptures or this is what I did when they asked you what interventions you're using. So once they understand what therapy is and what the clinical, you know, what clinicians do in inside of a therapy session, I think that enlightens them and they feel they will feel at ease if they get the right person. Because sometimes it's a good fit. Sometimes it's not just like a doctor. I've had doctors. And I'm like, you good at what you do, but it's not a good fit. Me and you don't work together. It's different. Right. Yeah, I don't feel comfortable with no, <laughs> I don't yeah. feel comfortable getting undressed with you. Okay. Or I don't feel comfortable in this environment to have you do exams. I mean, I just don't, it's just not the right thing. So you find the right one. And when you find the right one that you have a connection with and an openness therapy is a wonderful thing. It is. The healing process with the right person, right? Yeah. So I would recommend that they go and seek somebody, but Make sure as a Christian, if we're talking about Christians here, the first uh, clinician you should be seeking in any case is always God. Yes. Always go to him and he will lead you and guide you in the right direction of who you need to be, when you need to be, who you need to talk to, how you need to talk. He may take care of some stuff before you even get there. Exactly. May not even need to, no, God, I'm good. (laughs) What happened? I was praying and the Lord took that right on out. So, I mean, you know, so that works also. It does. It does. And I just want to say, um, just also, I understand that it's a conversation and, um, that yes, they will point you back to the things that are already helping you. But something that I've all also noticed is just getting new tips, new ways to handle things. Maybe the old ways are not enough. Um, I used to write poetry when I was younger. I haven't wrote a poem in years. Um, so 
you know, me going back to poetry may not work for me, or maybe I'm having like a writer's block where it's like, that's not what can help me anymore. But with speaking to a new Christian therapist, they may be able to tell me um, something different or also with being able to have the scripture. I remember um, I had a therapist that gave me, um, I think it was one of the Proverbs and they just, or no, it was Psalms. I think it was Psalms 21. And it was a very short, um, chapter but it just it really ring true to me and helped me with what i was going through at that time mm-hmm. i hope it was psalms 21 if someone wants to go back and read it but i'm not 100 percent sure but <laughs> the point is is just like being able to have those new tips or new tools where it's like okay now i'm able to read this verse over and over again throughout my week and it make me better or maybe I'm able to um, be pushed to go have an important conversation I need to have with someone that I've been avoiding. Um, those are important as well, because uh, yeah. some may be like, well, I'm just going to go ahead and talk to my best friend or I'll talk to my husband or my wife, you know, um, about things. But it's like your husband or your wife or your best friend may not have the tools and tips that you need to succeed in this area. And so I think that's important. Yeah, and it's a good thing too because you know it's it it just it's hell it helps. It does. You know, a lot of, and like I said, like I'm saying, a lot of times as a pastor, I can tell you from a lot of pastors and a lot of leaders are not advocates for therapy. Um, I'm an I'm an advocate of being balanced. I think yeah. you should go to your heavenly father, but I also think positions are needed. Yeah. I think doctors have a place. God is the, he is our, our heavenly physician, but we still need our medical doctors. And so, and this is, you know, I had to have a surgical procedure. Now I'm sure the Lord could have came in and, and used his hands and touched me, but I ended up going under the knife or, or under a surgical procedure. I had to go under to get that done. And so the, the doctors have their place. Therapists and clinicians have their place. Lawyers. I'm yeah. sure you can go in the courtroom and advocate for yourself, but lawyers are very helpful. Yes, they are. So that's the way I look at it. These people are in position. People like myself are in position. And if they have the right heart, they're in position to really be a blessing to people. Yes. And I think it can be looked at. And I just want to encourage whoever is on the fence about it um, to not grow weary. If you, maybe you've had a bad, uh, you know, experience with someone that wasn't the best therapist for you maybe it was just like a situation where they were trying to push drugs and you felt like i didn't need drugs or um you know because I've, I've met a pharmacist that was well it was a therapist see i called her a pharmacist because i swear that woman was trying to push drugs on me as soon as i came in um she didn't even talk to me she had an intern speak to me and then she was like oh i'm gonna write this script just in case you need it and it was a Christian therapist. So I would say um, everyone are everyone's not created equal. And just because it says Christian on the website or on the door, that doesn't mean that they're necessarily listening to God on that moment. Because if you weren't even sitting in the room with me, there's no reason for you to be trying to prescribe me a drug. So um, I will say be able to go through a few different people. Because once I found my people, um, and I say my people because I, I've seen different ones throughout the years where it's like this therapist may have helped me through this childhood trauma, but when, when it reemerged as something different or when I realized I didn't deal with something different, I might have went to a different um therapist and they've all had their place to help me. But um find find one 
one that works for you and don't mind going through two, three, five different interviews to figure out who's going to be the best fit because you're going to let someone be all up in your deepest, darkest thoughts. You want to be able to trust them and make sure they're the best one for the job. And it's okay if you have to say, hey, maybe this this one's not a great fit, but let me let me keep trying. Don't look at that as an out like, mm, Jesus don't want me to have a therapist. See, uh-uh, those, that one won't write. <laughs> That's that's true though. I think you do need to you need to find somebody that that really is a good fit for you. If if therapeutic interventions is something that you're interested in doing, I absolutely agree with that. And I also know that as a Christian, you can start off with and something that I do, which is just pastoral leadership and guidance. Yes. And if you're not interested in doing traditional therapy, your pastor can lead you through the word and how scriptures can help you um, in your time and what you're going through. Uh, I'm always an app. Some people just stop at pastoral leadership and guidance. They never go and pursue therapy. Other people have pastoral leadership and guidance and they have therapeutic interventions because therapy is different. Yes. Coaching therapy is different than coaching. It is. It goes on the diagnosis and they do interventions because of that diagnosis. So it's really different how they, how you do therapy, but it can be very powerful in the lives of people, especially if you connect with the right therapist. I wouldn't be scared of therapy. Some people have the wrong image. I'm crazy if I'm in therapy, all of these uh, things that their grandma told them and all kind of stuff like that. I don't believe in that at all. I, I really don't. As a pastor that does it, I'm telling you, get the right therapist and it yes. will be your whole life. You yes, find the right one. There's some diamonds. There's some, there's some therapists who are gifted by God. And they're doing what they're doing under the anointing of God. And they're helping people because Christians need to have good Christian people to go and see. Definitely. And not feel like a taboo is going on because I'm, I'm talking to somebody in a therapeutic intervention and a therapeutic environment. There's something bad about that. Yes. And I also, um, I want to take a moment to pivot. Tell us about this woman's conference coming up next month. Yes, thank you so much <laughs> opportunity. I'm so super excited on May the 20th. Um, um, I don't think I mentioned it. I am um, started something called the Godly and Fabulous Women Movement. Yes. Women should be fabulous. God has designed us to be honorable. We should just be holy women of God, honorable women of God, and powerful women of God, not only in his kingdom, but powerful in the things that we do. We should be the head and not the tail. And this conference is really going to talk about, and I thank God for you, Sister Bree. I honor you for being one of the um, people that are there. I'm excited about you um, and your consulting you. business coming and teaching women about how your finances matter. And we, we're we going to tell, I mean, we're going to have all day. We're going to be hanging all day from 10 to 5 p.m. It is going to be at um, Emmanuel Baptist Church which is located at 1012 North Battlefield in Chesapeake. And you can find the tickets under Eventbrite under Godly and Fabulous. Um, you'll see movement of Godly and Fabulous Women Conference. Godly and Fabulous Women Conference. You can find it there. And we're going to eat. We have a catered lunch. Um, I'm excited about that with Red Bones, a restaurant in Chesapeake. We're going to be just hanging all day long. We're talking about your finances. We're talking about your spiritual walk matters. We're going to be talking about um, your health matters. We're talking about your peace matters. I mean, we have 
like five different presenters. We have musician, music, um, people that sing and do all kinds of um, arts are coming. It's going to be wonderful. And the power of God is going to move at this women's conference. Yes, I'm it is. It, I'm accepting it and I'm believing it in advance. So get your tickets and let's get together and have a blast empowering each other. We don't take time to do that enough, woman. We sometimes hating on each other. We're going to build each other up at this conference. We're not pulling each other down. The Godland Fabulous Woman Movement is about women that understand in the kingdom of God, there is no competition. We're not competing against each other. We're pushing each other up. That means you can go as high as you want to go and I can go as high as I want to go and there's still room for all of us at the top. Exactly. And we're going to empower each other. So I'm excited about this woman conference. I tell you, it just brings my, my, just brings me so much joy to be able to connect with these women and be a part of this fabulous movement, even though I'm one of the, I established it. I'm still excited about connecting women like you. Yes. Thank and, you. Yes. I'm excited for it. May the 20th. Yes, I can't wait. I can't wait. I know it's going to be amazing. Um, I'm so excited about it. I am ready to hear the other speakers as well. I'm blessed to be a speaker, but your peace matters. Woo! That's what we were talking about just now. Like, we need to keep our peace. And, you know, the person that's doing the peace, um, Mangrum, Pastor Mangrum, is just, she's, she, is, she specializes in helping women that have been through trauma. She, she has such an awesome testimony how the Lord just, just saved her life. And some women have been beaten and they're broken and they're wounded. And they need somebody to tell them, like my son, David, used to ask me, I got a 17-year-old son. And when he was younger, he would tell me, Sister Bree, he would tell me, he said, Mom, can you hug me and tell me everything's going to be okay? Um, he would really ask me to do that. And I would hug him. I said, David, everything is going to be okay. He said, thank you, mom. I just needed to hear that. Some women need to be hugged and told when they've been abused by life under the umbrella of love. They need to be told everything is going to be okay. Yes. We can do so much power as women if we stick together and stop all this backbiting and all this foolishness. We can be so much power. So much power is in women being unified and empowering each other. I'm just excited about it. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be life-changing. I'm excited. I love it. I love it. Um, and I know it's going to be life changing. So I know also that pivots back to life changing ministry in Suffolk, Virginia. What's the address again out there? <laughs> we're we're actually located at 600 West Washington Street in Suffolk, Virginia. And that's 23434. We're in the downtown Suffolk area. We're so close to the courthouse and everything. We're right there in downtown Suffolk and we are new to the neighborhood. The life-changing ministry is 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 really, we're restoring families in yes. this ministry. You know, we're changing lives, restoring families and our goal is to positively impact the community. So we are a growing church, a small but growing church with a mega church field and we're growing and we, we aim to take over the city of Suffolk with the love of God. And so each soul matters to God. Each soul matters to God. And I'm excited to be planted in Suffolk. It used to be here in the good old Virginia Beach. Now, yes. Suffolk, I know, right? Now, Suffolk <laughs> my home. God told me about four years ago, he was moving me to Suffolk. And I was like, Suffolk? You know, mm -hmm. like, like somebody said, you're going to Alabama. Alabama. <laughs> 
Like what's over there? <laughs> and so the Lord has planted me. There's one thing to move somewhere. There's something else to be planted. So yeah. the minute planted in the downtown area of Suffolk, and we are aiming to just empower and love on those folks and show them the love of God there. And I'm excited for what he's doing. So please go to the Life Changing Ministry, VA. That is our Facebook page and follow us and see what you're doing. And, and we would love to see your grace, your face. I would love to meet you in person in Suffolk any Sunday. God be willing, we should be there. Yes. And I just want to say, uh, Pastor, you've been a blessing over my life since I've met you. God be the Lord. Yes. yes, you have been amazing. Um, and so if you are looking for a church home, if you're in Suffolk, if you live in Portsmouth, Chesapeake, wherever you live, um, she is definitely worth the drive and she will change your life. Like if you allow her, if you allow her, you know, they got to let you in. Um, but if you allow her, she will definitely change your life because you have definitely changed mine. And I'm just so grateful to know you. I am. You and your family, you know that, honestly. <laughs> Prayer warrior, Sister Monica. I'm Nehemiah, I love all your children. I love and thank God for your husband, the covering that you have. I just thank God for your family union and still your zeal. You guys are a young couple, but you're power packed. It's so young to be so bold. You're such a <laughs> bold one for God. And so I'm, I just love your zeal. I know sometimes we call and we, you know, maybe I have to call you. What's going on? What's new? So what's going on? She's like, try this, try that. So I thank mm -hmm. God for you, even though you're you're younger than me. I think you lead the way. You're really a visionary, and I thank God for you. I really do, and I think God has great plans for your business. And I'm just grateful to be. I'm humbled. I mean this with all sincerity. I'm humbled to be invited to come. That you would trust me to even come on here and talk to your audience. So I, I thank God for that. I don't take it lightly. So thank you for this opportunity. Of course. And thank you for coming. In closing, do you have anything else that you would like to say? No, no. I think I've <laughs> said enough. I hope that I we have said something that the words of my mouth have that someone would hear something that I've said and it will just bless them. And if that is done, then I've done the purpose of being here today. Amen. Amen. I love it. Well, with that being it, um, you guys tune in next week. And make sure that you look at the show notes for the different ways that you can connect with Life Change and Ministry VA, um, that you can sign up for the Godly and Fabulous Women Women's Conference. It's coming up May 20th, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. in Chesapeake. Um, so I will be putting the link to that as well in the show notes. Come see me, come see Pastor and the um, other amazing speakers. It's going to be a great time, a great move of God. And we're going to eat. So <laughs> you ain't got to worry about being hungry. Get away from them kids. Come eat. Have a good time under the anointing of God. Um, and I'll be talking to you guys next week.